Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And we're live. One, two, three, four. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. It's West by Pod, a podcast about WVU, the Big 12, and spiky reptiles. I'm Joel Bracken. On Twitter, I'm at WVStatsGuy. As always, I'm joined by Jordan Pinto. He's at Game Day Shorts. What's happening, Jordan? You know the drill, man. Two pints, one glass. Ready to rock and roll. Awesome. Well, tonight we're uh, we're continuing our, our deep dive series. Tonight we're covering TCU, Iowa State. Um, some teams that are projected on the lower end of the conference, but I think there's a lot of intrigue um, and a lot of interesting stuff going on there. So... Um, I was I was reading about the horned frog thing just because I was curious. I I never actually looked it up. Um, so, so the the horned frog deal they're actually lizards, but um, the the second place choice for their mascot at TCU was the the cactus. So they definitely were going with a the theme, and apparently they they went with the uh, the horned frogs because there were just all these lizards all over their football field when they were trying to come up with a mascot, and uh, that stuck back in the 1800s. So we're talking TCU, Iowa State. Um, but first we're going to do one quick question for you, Jordan, running the hill. It's a big hill sprint for you. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. All right. So, so just kind of tying in a little West Virginia recent news. Um, so Pat White, um, landed an offensive assistant coaching position with the chargers. And also this week we, uh, we talked about Noel Devine's son being offered by WVU. So a little, uh, you know, blast from the past is two greats. And I have a tough question for you, Jordan. So in today's era of college football, 2022, um, you, you get to pick one of these two sets of three players to build your offense around. You can either have Pat White, Steve Slayton, and Owen Schmidt, or you can have Geno Smith, Tavon Austin, and Stedman Bailey. Who do you want as your, uh, your starter pack for your offense in 2022 college football? Yeah, man, it's it's a brutal, excellent, outstanding question. Um, the Hill never disappoints, you know. Um, I don't, I mean, you know, it's splitting hairs here, right? Like on the one, the one hand, you're talking about the group that I watched. So Pat, Steve, Owen, uh, that was that was like my college years. You know, that's the golden era of Mountaineer football. I got to watch all those games for free. I remember most of them, you know what I mean? And like have very fond memories of, of going to those games, watching those games, watching those guys kick ass. I think what they lose like five games in, in the three years that they were together. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they're very, very near and dear to my heart, obviously, uh, you know, a legendary duo um, in college football. And then, you know, you have uh, Tavon and Stedman, probably the best receiver duo. I mean, not probably the best receiver duo that we've ever had. Geno Smith, who, you know, um, holds all kinds of records, all kinds of school records at WVU. Um, I don't know. I think the way that I would answer this question is that I, I like Pat and Steve and Owen more as a trio, but if I was starting a team today in 2022, um, I think just with the way that the passing game has evolved and how central that is to your success at this point, um, I think I might go with those guys, you know, just run it back, run it back with Gino and Stedman and Tavon, and then, you know, figure figure the rest out from there. Uh, what do you yeah. what do you think? Yeah, just insert a defense or something. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, yeah. I actually, I think you nailed exactly the way I would answer that too. 
if you were to say who were the better, who was the better trio at WVU, I think it's Pat White, Slate, and Schmidt. Yep. Um, and the way they sort of, you know, the spread offense and, and the way they sort of changed the game um, was massive at the time. But the way the game has shifted and you got to score points and you got to throw the ball. I mean, I think there's lots of evidence and, and statistical backing to, um, you know, if you can have one, you'd, you'd rather have a, a dominant passing attack. So, um I think I would I would agree, but man, there's no wrong answer here. Like I take no, either. <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. No, I mean, hey, we 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 could take either, and we be in way better shape than we are right now. So yeah, so, yeah, hey. two two legendary trios, um, and just like I said, kind of tying them in with some some WVU news this week. Um, I guess the other big thing that kind of went on this week was uh, TBT, the basketball tournament. Did you get to catch any of those games? Yeah, man, I caught um, so I caught the the Marshall game. I'm down here in, in Charleston, so my, uh, made my way down for for the uh, the herd that game uh, after I got the kids to bed. Um, had it's a really a good, good time. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's a it's a nice little arena. So you know, there's not like even though there's not a ton of people in there, it still gets kind of loud because it's pretty pretty cozy in there. Um, and yeah, you know, I mean it's just classic uh, classic WVU hoops. You get right back into the swing of things. It doesn't matter if those guys aren't technically playing for us anymore you know you see the you see the guys you see the names on the back out there and you you get right back into it so um i do think it's it's kind of hilarious i know we've talked about it a little bit just like how uh some things never change right like those mm-hmm. <laughs> watching best virginia feels like watching west virginia and that's just the way that it is i think oh yeah it brings out the same anxiety oh my gosh like the elam ending is awesome and the elam ending is like a west virginia fans like you have like a heart palpitation every time you it's like built for us to either like come on some vicious comeback or absolutely choke up some massively like the herd that game got a little sweaty there for a minute we're sitting there in the (laughs) arena i'm sitting there with my buddy and he's like so like at what point do we start getting nervous here yeah i think um uh john uh john elmore hit hit that three and it like cut it to like eight after it had been like 17 and i was like i think right now now like now's the time exactly yeah it, it got it just to where you were like starting to do the math you're like okay they're like three four possessions away for, like you know you gotta get stops here it's um it, it's just so much fun to watch like you know some of the 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 recent legends of the game for west virginia still duking it out obviously like miss deshaun butler out there but still so yeah. many awesome guys um shame yep. it went down in dayton but fun to watch they, them they they fought hard man they fought oh, yeah. hard just couldn't uh couldn't overcome it at the end but no i mean yeah it's it's fun to watch them play man yeah and it'll be interesting if this team you know I, i'm assuming the core of the team is going to have to shift soon um i don't know if we'll have enough alumni who are interested um wish javon carter just check in it's not worth risking his nba paycheck but you, i'm sure i'm sure the competitor he is he probably couldn't stand being on the sideline he might be games. hey he might be one we look at you know here in like five to seven years you know mm-hmm. maybe the nba career runs its course um but i don't know yeah no like if there was one guy um kind of one guy not on the team now that you would target who like is do you have a name i mean i think i think gabe is like the emotional like you know pr- like the next in line I think Gabe Gabe would be like an awesome. He'd be a big at promoting. Like obviously, he yeah. went on that big West Virginia tour this year, and it was awesome. So um, when Nate Adrian's healthy, also it's awesome. But you know, he's he's getting up there pretty in a, in some pretty big leagues, and uh, I think Italy right now. So mm-hmm. you know, you don't blame those guys for for taking the check. Nah. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting if we get like a new wave of guys. I know we had maybe two guys playing on different teams, um, alumni as well. So I hadn't, I hadn't heard about that. Um, I was just saying, I was like thinking like when you watch like the style of game, like Taz, Taz Sherman, it feels like he could average 30 a game in like in this format against the way that these guys play defense. So I don't know. Yeah. He's one where I was like, man, if he would be interested, I think he'd be, he'd be perfect for the format. He would be, it's like playground ball and he yeah. would be, he would be perfect in an Elam ending situation when you need, you know, a guy to go get two buckets. Like, go get a bucket, bro. Yeah. That's all he wanted to do anyways. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, it was exciting watching that. Um, So I'm in Columbus. I'm not too far from Dayton. And I was was really considering. And if they advanced, I was like, I'm probably going to have to end up at a a game down there. So um, cool to see them them making some noise and, and running pretty deep. For sure. Cool. So you ready to uh, to roll the sleeves up and, and dive in a little bit? Um, you want to start with uh, TCU? 
Yeah, let me uh, let me pull out my snorkel and my my goggles here, and we'll just uh, we'll go ahead and dive in here. Um, yeah, so TCU, uh, pretty disappointing um, twenty twenty one. I don't TCU feels like one of these teams where every year they're kind of hyped, and I'm not sure why it is. I think it's because they have cool colors and like pretty cool jerseys and stuff. Um, but like I don't know, I feel like they've been overhyped coming into the season for like the last half decade. Um, but regardless, they, they kind of underwhelmed last year, man. They finished five and seven. Um, and you could kind of see the points um, in their schedule where so Gary Patterson got fired. Uh, that, that was the outcome of the season. But you can kind of see the point in the schedule where they um, where they quit on him, man. You know, they start with a big win against Duquesne. They beat Cal. Um, they lose to Southern Methodist. So a little concerning there. But SMU is a good squad last year. Um, they lose by Texas or lose to Texas by five beat Texas Tech, and then get blasted at Oklahoma, and then they don't have another close game until Baylor. Somehow they miraculously beat Baylor last year. But then, like, I mean, you look coming down the stretch, like Oklahoma beat them by three touchdowns. Oklahoma State beat them 63-17. to Iowa State beat them 48-14. to We beat them by two scores, you know, where it's just like clearly like something happened halfway through the season where, um, yeah, I don't know, they, they just kind of – they just kind of – came apart somehow and and yeah the result is is Gary Patterson's fired Sonny Dykes is in and it's now the Sonny Dykes era uh in Fort Worth um any other thoughts on on last year from from your angle yeah it's it's just when you see um it's kind of on Gary Patterson you know I feel like Gary Patterson is TCU football he yeah this program really wasn't a lot until he came around and he built it from the ground up I mean he had to be the most influential person in getting TCU into a power five conference, like kind of making that step out of, I believe they're in the mountain West. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, just on the, you know, he, his cornerstone was always defense. He always had some nasty defenses and the way this defensive play last year was just, it didn't look like a Gary Patterson team. So yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, exactly know what's going on in Fort Worth or what, what went down, but um yeah, it really didn't have the identity that it, it had for a long time. And then, yeah, you, you it's kind of crazy. You, you get the firing, and then you get the, the sort of rally around the flag uh, with Jerry Kill, and, and then they upset Baylor, which is you know, <laughs> a very impressive win. But, yeah, altogether just kind of a, an underwhelming season for TCU. For sure, for sure. All right, so coming into this year, this is what I'm talking about. I think they have better odds to, like, win the Big 12. Higher. They, they're, they're plus 1,200 to win the Big 12, which is better than us, plus 14. 100 to uh, win 10 plus games in the regular season over under of six and a half. So, you know, again, Vegas, Vegas is like hinting that they might be, might be decent, even though, I mean, you look at this offense, actually the offense isn't going to be the problem. Um, Mm -hmm. So let's dive into the offense. Uh, So again, they, they hire Sonny Dykes coming in, Sonny Dykes offensive guy. Um, SMU is pretty great under under him. Um, they had three straight years. They, you know, top 15 scoring nationally, top 15 total offense nationally. Um, so, you know, he definitely knew how to move the ball. Um, generally pretty balanced attack. I know there were games, I think, like when SMU beat TCU last year, it was like, you know, 300-some yards on the ground. But generally pretty pretty balanced, maybe even like a shade pass heavy if you were going to say anything. Like they, they passed it a little more than they would run it. So, um offensive guy and he's coming into a good situation right like you know he's got uh a quarterback competition but not a bad one um you know max duggan returns and he's kind of he's kind of like a a little bit of mercurial talent where you know he'll um he'll have some great games he'll have some really really dog shit awful games um and then you have chandler morris who um if you if you read the tcu message boards kind of kind of finger the pulse of the internet a little bit. Like people think that maybe he's even a little bit better than Duggan. So I don't know. What do you, what are you kind of thinking about the situation he's walking into uh, offensively for them? Yeah, not a bad one. Um, I mean, the second string quarterbacks is the best player on every team on message boards, but um, that never fails. But yeah, you're coming into a a situation where you have some pieces. I think the offense could, could stay the, the track this year um you know you're, you're definitely either getting a returning quarterback or you have a, a competitive um kind of go between these two guys um you also have uh offensive coordinator bringing along uh garrett riley who's actually lincoln riley's younger brother yep, the little brother um so so he was with him at smu so i think it's a preferable situation to kind of step into I mean, obviously you're walking into an offense that just lost zach evans which stinks 
Um, that's a big contributor. But um, actually, last year, TCU was fifth in EPA per play on offense. Um, and, and just want to shout out uh, CFBGraphs.com, Parker Fleming at Stats of War. If you, if you want to be smarter about college football, he's a big TCU guy. Um, but get a lot of good uh, metrics and, and football talk from him. So, yeah, all in all, I think the, the offense, you know, the situation could be similar, I think, from last year. Um, the defense has nowhere to go to, but up, but I think the offense is returning enough pieces that um, Sonny Dykes could definitely step in and make this a really fun, fun offense. Yeah, man. Yeah, so starting starting at the quarterbacks, so like you said, you got a competition. You got Max Duggan. You got Chandler Morris. Um, Duggan definitely played more last year. He played 606 snaps, graded out pretty well, had like a 74 PFF grade, um, completed about 64% of his passes, about nine yards per attempt, 16 touchdowns to six interceptions. So, you know, pretty strong numbers there. Like just, you know, going across kind of the traditional stats. Um, Chandler Morris actually even graded out a little bit better, um, 77.7 grade, but he only played 168 snaps, but completed 66% of his passes, a shade over nine uh, yards per attempt, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, I think the the thing you'd say here is, so they're both mobile. I think you'd say that Duggan is the better runner. Like when you watch Duggan play, the guy's a, the guy's a fantastic scrambler. Um, I think he was a little hobbled when we played them last year. So we, we might've lucked out a little bit there. Um, but maybe Morris is like a slightly better passer. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it just might come down to being a fit thing, you know, whether Dykes mm-hmm. is trying to, to lean into the passing game. Cause obviously plenty of weapons outside or lean into the running game. Cause you know, as you said, lose Zach Evans, but still, still a couple good, good running backs in there. Yeah. And I, I think we've had this conversation with other teams in the big 12, but this might be a situation where the quarterback's not going to make a world of difference. Like there might be one that's slightly better than the other. I think one criticism I've seen of Duggan is though he's the better runner is that he's too quick to, uh, to, to take off in the pocket. Like he maybe doesn't run through his check downs. Um, and, and he's kind of, you know, quick to get out of there and, and take off with his feet, which he has burned plenty of teams with that, but yeah, you also have to to like the the receiving room. So you get the top seven guys back in terms of targets. Yep. Um, so you're getting the entire receiving room back. Um, you're getting five guys who uh, had a catch of over 47 yards last year. So you have a lot of guys who at least have explosive, like big play potential. Um, and of course, you got to mention Quentin Johnson um, on the uh, the preseason Big 12 list. Um, big target six four. Um, so yeah, there, there are weapons. Um, this might be the most experienced receiving group in the big 12, just in terms of you're getting the entire production back. Um, so that, you know, that's a big plus there, there, there are pieces there to, to build around. Um, you have guys, it's not like you're, you're just starting fresh. For sure. Yeah. No, people are, people are kind of settled into roles. You know, you have, you have Johnson who you mentioned out wide. He's yeah. Huge, big, big play threat. I saw 43% of his targets. Uh, came on 20 plus yard uh, passing attempts. So, you know, he's a guy who they're looking to get down the field. Like you said, he's big frame, super athletic guy. Um, so he's the big play threat. I think he had 16 touchdowns last year. So, or sorry, not 16, six touchdowns last year. So, so really strong year. Um, yeah, no, I mean, you have to like the receivers. It's a good mesh of skill sets. Like you said, the top seven guys back. So there's not going to be any competition for, you know, like who, who can fill what role, right? Like they, they already have that continuity there. Um uh, you know, I think the the question is is going to be in the running back room. Like you said, they lose Zach Evans, but but Kendra Miller was awesome last year. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as as kind of the the one two, maybe the two um, to the to the Zach Evans one punch. Um, but eighty three carries, averaged seven and a half yards per carry, seven touchdowns, and actually he he led the whole country in in yards after contact. He averaged five point one yards after contact, um, which is more than any of our running back backs averaged you know per carry um so you know you lose one really impressive guy but you bring another one back um and then i also saw so they have they have uh amari demarcado who is um who actually you know had, had more carries than miller last year um but they bring in a transfer from louisiana lafayette named Amani bailey who i think actually might steal some touches from him um you know, you know, Di Mercado, a little less explosive, only four and a half yards to carry, you know, less than three yards after contact. Um, but Imani Bailey had an 87 PFF grade last year, averaged 6.2 yards per con- 6.2 yards per carry over three after contact. And 25 of his 96 carries went for 10 plus yards. So, you know, maybe you're looking at a little 
um, you know, kind of a scat back, you know, if you want to, you want to juice the offense up a little bit when, when Miller's not in there, I, you know, my note was, this is still a good room and, and maybe Bailey even takes some touches from, from uh, the incumbent DiMercato. So um, yeah, I think, you know, skill position wise, they're, they're in really good shape. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think when you have, you know, even having, if you have more than one quarterback, they say you have none. If you have more than, you know, if you have three running backs, you can cycle in three running backs and get a lot of production. So um, having the, the, the depth there is really good. And yeah, you mentioned Kendry Miller. Um, If you look at his numbers, Zach Evans only played in six games last year. Um, But if you look at Miller's numbers, they're almost identical. Um, He actually, he carried the ball nine less times last year, but he averaged uh, seven and a half yards an attempt. Um, I think the only thing on him was the fumbles. He had three fumbles. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I saw that. But yeah, all in all, you got solid skill position guys. Um, I think a, a pretty deep running back and receiving room. Uh, we talked about the quarterback. Not sure what's going on there. Um, if I, I imagine Max Duggan's going to start, but I, I don't know if that's been announced yet. Um, that might be one of those coming out uh, towards the end of the end of yeah, the like camp. But two two weeks out, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so for the offensive line, you know, you do get, um, you get a transfer coming from SMU, um, Alan Ali. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's going to be a pretty solid addition. Um, and you also have, uh, Steve Avila was a really good center last year. Um, on the death chart, I saw that he, maybe he's moving to guard. Um, so Ali can take the center. Position. Yeah. I think Ali's going to play center. Yep. Yep. Um, so yeah, last year, I mean, I think this this unit was a little bit above average in the run and the pass block. So I imagine just just from what I'm looking at, going to be kind of similar. Um, one one question, I guess, would be Marcus Williams. He's only he only took four snaps last year, mm-hmm. so I think that might be the, the weakness on the line. Um, what do you think about the the line? Yeah the 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 interior uh, the interior trio. Um, so it's going to be as you said, Alan Ali, uh, Steve Avila, and then. Uh, Coleman, I don't have his, I don't have his first name written down, but, but those guys all look strong, but the tackles, yeah, like you said, could, could be a weakness. Uh, the, the returning starter at tackles, Andrew Coker, he only had a 58 PFF grade last year. Um, and then as you sent, uh, as you mentioned, Marcus Williams on the other, on the other end of the line, only four snaps. So, um, they did have, they did have a pretty weak sack rate. Like their, their pass block grade was pretty, pretty good generally last year, but I, I did see that, you know, 6.9% sack rate, which was 105th nationally, um, 10.3% passing down sack rate. So, and obviously obvious passing situations. So people could get after him last year. I wonder if that tackle, the, the, the issues that tackle end up being, you know, something that, something that teams try to exploit, um, you know, especially as we, as we mentioned, a number of very strong defensive lines mm-hmm. in the big 12. So, um, definitely something to keep an eye on there. Uh, the one, one thing I wanted to mention, so, uh, tight end, you know, we'll see what happens. They, they lost the guy who started for him last year, Dominic D'Annunzio. I just wanted to mention that the guy starting this year's name is Jorquarius Spivey, which I thought was, I love Key and Peele. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <right? laughs> so, so, uh, Great name. yeah, so they, they have two guys back at tight end who, who played, uh, you know, Spivey played 120 snaps. Carter Ware played 97 snaps. Neither of them graded out very well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, you know, definitely, definitely a very strong, uh, group of skill position players, um, strong interior offensive line, maybe some question marks on the edges at, at, at either tackle position. And then, uh, maybe with the tight ends. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, just one thing I want to mention about the offense. So, um, looking at beta rank, this was like the weirdest team ever in offense. So, um, Rating the teams, Baderang kind of breaks it down into a couple couple groups. And last year, the TCU offense was 15th. This is nationally. 15th in explosive plays, 8th in play efficiency, and 16th in preventing negative plays. Um, so those components were really good, like, you know, top level. Uh, but they were 129th in drive efficiency, almost the worst in the country. Basically, what that means, I actually reached out to Rob um, and, and asked him about it. And, and basically what this boils down to is you can explain a ton of TCU's points off a, uh, a very small fraction of their plays. They had big explosive plays. Um, and, and that really kind of like constituted a lot of the production from the offense, but um, they just had no ability to put together drives and kind of cash in the points. So despite 
how good they were in all of those kind of breakdown components. Um, based on those, the points that they actually scored were, were terrible, almost last in the nation. So that's one of those things. I'm not sure if that's just bad luck, if that's like, you know, being inefficient and in, in scoring in, you know, the red zone or in the second half of the field. Um, but I think, I think what that kind of tells me is that this offense was really good. It just kind of didn't deliver, you know, obviously some plays are worth more than others in football and they didn't cash in when it mattered, but they had the ability to, to kind of scorch teams when things were going right. So I'm interested to see kind of how that will evolve with a lot of this, you know, the, the same people coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, with kind of the new, the new coaching staff. So I think that's going to be an interesting thing. The, the thing that's probably not going to be super interesting and hasn't been about TCU is the defense. Um, they were not good. I mean, they were legitimately one of the worst in the country last year. Um, and, and, you know, pretty much near the bottom, if not the bottom, um, per a couple teams for power five. So, uh, beta rank had them at 118th in effective rush and 123rd in effective pass. Um, that's just barely above Kansas. So, I mean, it's, they, they were scoring points or they, they had the ability to move the ball. Um, but the defense just, you know, let anybody through. So, um, there's nowhere to go, but up, right, Jordan. Yeah, man. Yeah. As you say, yeah, re- really bad last year, PFF and, uh, and CFE, uh, graphs. So the EPA, uh, metric on CFB graphs, uh, agreed there. Um, yeah. So you bring in Joe Gillespie, uh, for, to be the defensive coordinator, kind of to be the, the guy that follows in Gary Patterson's footsteps. Um, he spent the last three years at Tulsa and had some pretty decent success. Uh, so I mean, they were, they were a top three defense in um, in the conference for the last two years that he was there. Um, runs a three, three, five. So I think that's going to be really the interesting thing to watch this year. And, and kind of in, you know, some of the material that I was reading when I'm kind of diving into the roster and diving into what people were thinking about him um, is that, you know, Gary Patterson for two decades has been a four, two, five guy. Um, and, not even like a traditional that it's not even like a traditional four, three, even front either. Right. Like his guys always were kind of, kind of on the lighter and quicker side. Mm-hmm. Whereas with a three man front, you need three big bodies. Like even the defensive ends are going to be 270, 280 pounds. You need a nose tackle. Um, and so, you know, some of the things that I've read is just, they have concerns. Like, do we even have a guy who can play uh, nose tackle on the roster? Um, you know, so you look up front, you lose O'Shawn Mathis, you lose Kari Coleman. That's 45 pressures. Math or Mathis was, I mean, probably there, but he's been their best pass rusher for the last couple years. Um, you bring back a couple guys who are, who are decent. Um, so Dylan Horton will play one of the defensive ends. He graded out well last year, had 21 pressures, but he's the only guy uh, returning who had double digit pressures last year. So, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, a, ba- a bad defensive front and uh, kind of still looks like they're searching for answers. I don't know. What are you, what are you seeing up there? Yeah, not a lot of answers, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're losing just... It's not even like you're losing, I guess, the production. It's just there really wasn't a lot of production and you're losing the better guys on that yep. side of it. Um, yeah, I have written down Dylan Horton was the only guy who took significant snaps last year who graded above a 70 in PFF. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's I think a similar story as we kind of talked with Texas Tech, but um, it, just kind of big question marks about the the talent or, or whatever's going on with this defense last year, the, the D line just could not really generate a lot of pressures, only 15 sacks all year. Um, so they were also the worst tackling team in the league, um, but it doesn't get better. They were the worst in coverage um, for PFF. So like, you know, it, it just kind of like, you kind of got to find a, a strength somewhere and I'm not sure where that is. Um, uh, yeah, I don't. So I don't think it's up front. Um, I did see, so the, the, they have a UConn transfer, Lawal Uguak, uh, I think it's probably how you pronounce his name, who graded out pretty well, played well last year, 16 pressures. So I wonder if they'll, they'll try and, you know, look at him as, a, as an impact newcomer. Um, and then a couple of their, their highest rated dudes in the, in the class of 22 recruiting class were uh, defensive linemen. So they had a four-star edge, Michael Ibukun Okayodi and Dominic Williams. Um, so one of those dudes is an edge. Uh, Dominic Williams actually... Um, bigger body dude. So maybe look at him. If, uh, if Sony Misi, who is currently the starter at nose tackle, doesn't, doesn't get it done the first couple weeks of the season. Maybe you see that, that freshman get a little bit of tick in there. Um, but yeah, you, you move back to the second level and, and it's not, uh, it's not much more encouraging. Um, so D winners, Jamoy Hodge 
they were the two in the four, two, five last year. They're going to be two of the three in the three, three, five this year. And neither of them graded out above a 55 in PFF. Um, winners was 46.7 on 781 snaps. I think he his missed tackle percentage was over 20%. So mm-hmm. absolutely atrocious for a linebacker. Um, Hodge 53.3 on 425 snaps. Um, you know, they made a bunch of stops, which I guess is just the nature of being linebackers at a, at a high level defense. Um, but lots of missed tackles, not a lot of pressure generated. And the thing that I saw with them, um, was they were targeted a combined 45 times last year and 42 of those passes were completed. So when, wow. when, when the two linebackers were com- targeted last year, pe- teams were completing 93% of their passes, which is obviously not ideal. Yeah, that's that's a really good stat. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like you look across the linebacker grades on PFF and just pretty mediocre. Um, I saw they get a transfer, Johnny Hodges from Navy. Um, yep. His grades were all right at Navy, but um, I don't think he's going to make a world of difference. Um, so yeah, I, I do think something's got to change, kind of in this in this like front seven or front six. Um, you know, I don't know if it's a physicality issue because, you know, there's a big tackling, like I said, worst tackling uh, defense in the in the Big 12, worse than Kansas. So, um, yeah, 60, yeah, 63 out of 64 in P5, um, according to PFF. So, yeah, it's so, you know, having tackling issues, that's, I feel like that's more of a physicality thing. But obviously, you, you know, just displayed like the coverage is not better. So I don't know what the strength is of the of this front kind of group. Um, you know, I think of the three kind of levels, probably the defensive backs are the best. Um, though I don't know, it's just tough to, you know, like I said, there's not a lot going on. So you do have Travis Hodges, Tomlinson. And so he is a preseason all big 12. Yeah. Um, so that, that's probably your, that's at least your highlight guy of the defense. That's, that's one, if you're going to point to, um, is better, but. Um, I'm also seeing you got Mark Perry coming, uh, transfer from Colorado, but yeah, no, no one's jumping off the page of you here as, as this is going to, you know, no, no big name transfer guys, I think are going to, to sort of shift what's happened on this defense. So the one, the one that I'd look at maybe Josh Newton. So he's a guy when he was, uh, he's a transfer from ULM, um, graded out 76.9 last year on almost 700 snaps. He's a cornerback. And actually I think his last two, um, were TCU and us. And then he committed to TCU. And then there was another dude. Um, so I think his name, Jalen Shelton, maybe uh, ended up committing to us like two days later. So we kind of like split, put, you know, pulled the wishbone apart there. So we'll see who's better, but you know, maybe he's somebody who can come in and make a difference, but yeah, man, I, you know, they, they, they lose 1100 plus snaps between the Kendrick Van Zant and TJ Carter at safety. Um, and those guys were both, you know, neither world beaters, but both graded out in the 60s. Um, and you're just looking across here, and you know, there's the the PFF sheet is bloody, man. It yeah, is, it is it, yellows it, and reds. It is, and, yeah, uh, yeah, it's yeah. Big thumbs down for a lot of the defense. But but okay, so so here's the good news: is the offense is going to be pretty good, yep. and all you got to do is get near average on the defense. There's and nowhere wonder- to go but up. Yeah, man. And if they, so, you know, if you buy the argument that they did quit on Patterson last year, then Mm -hmm. maybe playing hard for a new coaching staff is all you need to go from literally worst in show to below average, which maybe is enough to get them, you know, to that six and a half, seven win uh, mark where Vegas sees them, you know? Yeah. I I, I think, like I said, there's nowhere to go but up. Um, You know, you get a new system, kind of a new. I don't know what's going on in Fort Worth, but maybe it was time for, you know, Gary Patterson. Um, and man, if you're a TCU fan, whatever Gary Patterson's doing in Austin now, has got to make you sick, but that's, that's like a whole nother story. So, um, so TCU, you said six and a half was the, the win total. Yep. I got the schedule pulled up. All right. So what are we looking at out of conference for TCU? So we're looking at Colorado to open the season. That's Friday, September 2nd, so the night after us. I'm sure we'll all be catching that, just basking in the glory, washing the champagne off of, uh, you know, <laughs> after our victory at, uh, at Pitt. Um, I actually have no frame of reference. Colorado, I think, has been pretty underwhelming recently, but I don't mm-hmm. know if yeah. – um, is, is, do, do you have a, kind of any idea whether or not they're good? I mean, at Colorado at 9 p.m. is probably not going to be easy, but – 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's at least on the bottom half of the Pac-12 and the bottom half of the Big 12. So, yeah. you know, I think that's probably a, a close to a coin flip game. Coin flip, yeah. At Colorado. Then you have uh, Tarleton uh, coming to TCU. So that's, that's your cupcake. So we'll say uh, that's definitely a win. Mm-hmm. Really tricky one with... Uh, so at SMU, um, hmm. TCU does get a buy, so that's going to be Saturday, September twenty fourth. But again, at SMU, and SMU beat them last year in Fort Worth, and now you wonder. I mean, you know, you Got take the coaching, coaching staff. Yeah, I mean, there's that, a, there's not going to be any shortage of bad blood there. Like, this, I know this that's is. Not- yeah, this this is the game you schedule on NCAA when you like move coaching jobs to the better, and then you're like, I'm gonna schedule my old team back. So this yep. this is like the perfect bad blood. Um, I'm getting there. Yep, yep. So who who knows with that one? Um, I'd like to say TCU's favored, but I mean they lost they lost to him last year. So mm-hmm. uh, then you you know you get to the Big Twelve, Oklahoma. That's probably a loss at Kansas. Probably a win. Uh, Oklahoma State, Kansas State at home. I still think those are probably both losses. At West Virginia, probably another loss. I, you know, I, or well, hopefully, you know, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully another <laughs> loss. But you know, I, you're going through here looking at this. Texas Tech's probably a win. Texas, and it was six and a half. Right? Six and a half, yeah. Man, and after looking at Iowa State, I'm not sure that I like TCU more than I like Iowa State. I know we'll get into that here in, in a few minutes, but I don't I know. Six and a half feels like a lot. I agree that, you know, it's hard because, you know, you have one guaranteed with Tarleton. Both out of conference feel like coin flips, you know. Maybe you like Texas Tech. They always have Texas's number, um, but finding seven wins on this schedule, I don't love it initially. Um, yeah. I would I would lean under. Yeah. Concur. Oh, Ooh. special teams notes. Uh, kicker and punter, both back, both decent. And then Darius Davis uh, back as as the kick and punt returner, and, and he's good. He's a good returner. So that's your special teams update from uh, from me. Gotcha. <laughs> all right. So I, that's all I have for the, the Horned Frogs this year. Anything else you want to add? No, nah, man. No, I, I think we covered it pretty good. Um, like the offense, don't don't really like the defense, and I think it'll just you know we're we're gonna have to see how some of those coin flips go because I think they're gonna be a team where, you know, it's gonna be a lot of a lot of those types of games. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. All right, cool. So with that, I think we can move on to the Iowa State Cyclones. Um, so seven and six last year, Jordan. What's your what's your rundown for twenty twenty one? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, pretty, you know, last year was supposed to be the year for them, right? Like, you know, you have Brock Purdy, you have junior year, Brees Hall, you have Charlie Kolar, you have Chase Allen, you have a seasoned defense. Like last year was supposed to be the year that they were, that they were making the run at the big 12 title. And, um, they just, they stepped on the rake a couple times, you know, not the least of which was, you know, in Morgantown where, um, you know, that was that was our big game of the season, really, you know, which kind of says a little bit, you know, probably says as much about our season as it does about theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, just just an underwhelming year. Um, and so, you know, you, you cap it off with a loss to Clemson in the Cheez-It Bowl. So, really, you know, you finish seven and six and, and you know, I it's probably weird for Iowa State fans because I feel like last year was one of the first years where they've really been like flying flying high you know mm-hmm. they've they played themselves. that yeah they played that underdog role really well um for a number of years have been a very solid you know kind of like an eight win team that would that would knock off one of the big three in the conference every year um and last year they were supposed to be one of the big three and they mm-hmm. kind of shat the bed a little bit i don't know what do you what do you think yeah i mean last year was was supposed to be the best year in iowa state football history um Iowa State has has a pretty like weak football history. Uh, they're one of I think it's it's either two or three Power Five schools that have never had a ten win season, never. Um, so I, I wrote this down just because I thought it was interesting. So last year they were preseason number seven in the AP poll. Um, yeah. In the history of the in the history of the AP poll, they were only in the top twenty five in the preseason three times ever. 
the highest until last season was 20th. Um, yep. So like this, this was supposed to be it. Um, and it just didn't come together. They lost five of their six games by one score. And the other one was a 10 point loss to Iowa, who always has the number. Um, so, you know, this is, we're, we're moving into Matt Campbell's seventh season now. And after getting the training wheels off in year one, um, this is, this is five years in a row between seven and nine wins. And they won the Fiesta Bowl in 2020, which was like a weird year. And, you know, winning, winning the Fiesta Bowl, like used to be a big achievement, maybe not as much anymore, but still a big deal. But I, I kind of wonder if the seven to nine win range is, is like a cap for Iowa state because all indications were that if they couldn't do it last year, you know, can it be done? And it's going to be interesting to see, I don't know how much time Matt Campbell has left in Iowa state in terms of, does he want to leave? You know, I think they'll keep him for as long as he wants to stay, but um, he hasn't left yet and he's had opportunities. And I just wonder the history of this program and, and maybe just the resources and the location and everything, how much more can you like ring out of, out of this, this, this setup? Um, can you get over like the nine win hump? Because this, this program literally never has done it once. So I don't know last year, maybe a little unlucky. I think they were on the unlucky side because they did put up some good advanced metrics and they just didn't win the games. But unfortunately that's yeah. the part that matters. Um, so that's, that's the way the cookie crumbled for, for them last year. Yeah. And I think in terms of it all coming out on the wash, you know, they're, they're one of those teams. And, you know, I feel like, uh, I felt like Kansas state was one of these teams for a long time where they were kind of on the other side of that coin, right? Where they weren't putting up big numbers. They weren't doing the explosive play thing, but they were winning the games. Right. Yeah. And so last year, the script kind of flipped for them where they were, you know, still putting up big numbers, explosive plays, you know, doing all the things you think you would need to do to win games, but they just weren't winning. them. So, um, yeah, coming into this year, uh, plus 25,000 to win the natty. I, I think we can go ahead and cross that one off as, as anything that anybody would want to touch. Uh, plus 1,600 to win 10 plus, plus 2,000 to win the Big 12, over under six and a half. Um, and, you know, you, t- you talk about the Matt, Cam- the Matt Campbell era. I think a lot of it is going to come down to this generation of skill players that are coming in mm-hmm. and kind of going to start making their mark this year, right? Because you look across the board, you lose Brock Purdy, who, four-year starter. Brees Hall, three-year starter. Um, Tariq Milton, four-year contributor, Charlie Kolar, Chase Allen, four-year contributors. Um, you know, it's a, it's a whole new generation of skill players who are coming in. Um, and I don't think that they're bad. No. Um, at all, actually. You know, I think you look at quarterback, um, Purdy's a loss. Looking at the numbers, I'm not sure if it's as big of a loss as we, as we, you know, maybe think that it is in our heads, just because, you know, somebody starts as a freshman, starts four years, you, you, you think of that guy as like an icon or like a pillar, like this guy, you know, he wasn't that good last year. Mm-hmm. Um, he was arguably better as a freshman and a sophomore as he was than, a, you know, as a junior and a senior, which is kind of weird. Um, but the guy coming in this year, it's going to be Hunter Deckers. He was a four-star class of uh, 2019. Big dude, 6'3", 235 pound, just a linebacker of a quarterback dual threat out there, left-handed. Um didn't play a ton last year, but again, four-star pedigree um, seems to be able to, I mean, you know, it seems like he has all the physical tools. I don't know. What do you, do you have any kind of sense of, of Hunter Deckers at this point? Not a great sense, but for Iowa state, you have a four-star recruit um, coming in to, to fill up a, I guess, a legend for Iowa state quarterbacks. Um, you know, I think that's a testament to, to what Matt Campbell's built. Um, you know, he kind of did just, I think he was very emotional last year. Cause that was like his first cycle of guys that he felt yeah. like, you know, he went all the way through, but, but now it's the next era. Um, and yeah, I, uh, I think this guy is, is going to be a threat. I'm excited to see him play, um, his, uh, 24 seven little bio thing. The, uh, the scout called him a more of a fullback build than a quarterback. <laughs> build. So I like that description. Um, yeah, I think this guy's going to be fine. And and what you said about Purdy starting four years, like Purdy was great. Purdy won a lot of games, did a lot of things right. But um, maybe don't always mistake that someone has been starting for four years as they are awesome and have been great the whole time. You know, 
as a freshman, he was the best option. And then he grew in and, you know, he, he had a really solid career. But um, yeah, I, I think kind of diving into to Deckers and, and just really the offense as a whole, I don't I don't feel terrible about this this offense as I as, as I think my initial um, sort of thoughts about them. Yeah, man. Yeah. No, I mean, you watch them over the last last you know couple of years and, and so much of their offense has been Purdy, Purdy doing Purdy bullshit, you know, just backyard off the script stuff. Mm-hmm. But like the way that that washes out is like he was top 15 nationally. Um, PFF tracks the percentage of pressures that are the quarterback's fault, you know, where it's like either he ran too soon or held onto the ball too long, you know, to the point where like the offensive line did its job and the guy still got pressured. 25% of their pressures last year were, were Purdy's fault, which was top 15 nationally. So, you know, maybe he he almost turned into a little bit of a caricature of himself, I feel like, um, in terms of I'm going to scramble around and make plays, uh, almost to his own detriment last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I went back and I, I watched. So Deckers played basketball <laughs> in high school as well. So <laughs> I went down a little Hunter Deckers basketball uh, rabbit hole. Um, watched I watched some of his high school football highlight tapes. I mean, the guy, you know, He's he's a nimble 6'3", 235 is what I would say. So I think, you know, I don't know how he'll be running an offense, but, I mean, the physical tools are there for him mm-hmm. to be a good player. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the much bigger loss for them is is Brees Hall, um, who, uh, you know, obviously NFL draft pick. The dude was, a, the dude was a, a home run hitter in the running game. He was actually, you know, I'd, I'd say one of the five best receiving running backs in the country last year. Um, yeah. just, you know, a guy who could go out and actually run past, you know, it's not, he's not just catching the ball out of the backfield. He's running routes on defensive backs, beating them and scoring touchdowns. So, um, you're, they're replacing him with a guy named Jarrell Brock, who, uh, another four star in that class of 2019. So, you know, just shout out class of 2019. These dudes are coming through. That's what I'm talking about. Where, you know, we'll see how they work out in terms of Campbell's future, mm-hmm. um, at Iowa state. This dude, actually, I feel like he did play enough last year to, to kind of get a sense. He had a 63 grade on 180 snaps last year, averaged 4.7 yards a carry, only 2.2 yards after contact, which I thought was kind of kind of low. He's six foot 215, so, you know, a big dude, but didn't really break that many tackles or, um, you know, gain all that much yards, all that many yards after contact. Um, so I think that's, that's a position where I'm looking at, you know, I think quarterback, they could be okay, Running back, I think they're taking a little bit of a step back from what Brees Hall was over the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I think anyone's a step back um, yeah. from Hall. Um, yeah, so, you know, Jarrell Brock, I think the one thing is that he didn't really have any games or he hasn't had any games at the college level where he's taken a lot of snaps until the the bowl game. So he was really used. Um, so he took 14, he had 14 rushes in the bowl game. But other than that, he had six versus Baylor. And then every game, he played in pretty much every game of the season, but he yeah. had like two or three runs in every game. So, um, you know, to be like a feature back, that's a different deal. Seems point. like a, f- a physical guy um, who likes who likes the contact. But, um, yeah, taking 20-plus carries a game is a different deal. And, yeah, I don't think he's going to be Brees Hall. You're probably taking a step back. Um, and just in terms of the rushing game in general, uh, last year, Purdy and Hall combined for 81% of rush attempts. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really don't have anybody on the team who, who's run the ball in any any like amount. Like so Gerald Brock's the best you got, but I think um, I think he's going to be serviceable. I you know like you said, a four star um, replacing. So you got a four star running back and a four star quarterback kind of plugging in. I think for Iowa State, you can live with that. Yeah. No, I think. You know, in, in my in my head, uh, when I was looking into Brock for the first time, I saw four star, and in my head, I went to David Montgomery or Brees Hall. I don't think that he's either of those guys. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he's probably going to be he's going to be a good back. I think. Um, Deion Silas going to be the running back too, so he's a guy who was there last year as well. Um, definitely more of a scat back. I think he's like five eight hundred and hundred and eighty pounds. So little dude, a um, little bit more explosive. Average five point eight yards per carry. Average almost three yards after contact. Um, so. You know, good little good little mix of uh, you know complementary skill sets there in the in the running back room. Um, out wide, they lose uh, Tariq Milton, so Tariq Milton went and, and chased the dollar signs of Texas to be probably Texas's seventh receiver. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully he enjoys that uh, that decision. But they do have Xavier Hutchinson back, so first team All Conference last year, first team All Conference preseason this year. 
Um, he's, he's that dude, man. You know, he had 104 targets last year, caught 83 of them. So, you know, like really high percentage. That's like 80% completions when you're throwing to him, 990 yards, um, you know, 12 yards per catch. So nothing crazy, but just like a, a very, very solid, very physical, uh, possession receiver who can handle a ton of volume. You throw him the ball. Good things are going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. He almost had a thousand yards last year. Um, I think the one big thing in the receiving game I'm really interested to see is what this next generation of, I don't know, tight end fullback, whatever yeah. you call them on whatever sheet it's different, but, um, whatever big guys, Iowa state trots out there who are going to block and catch a ball. Um, I mean, Kolar had 95 targets for a tight end. That's insane. Yep. And then you have a second tight end chase Allen who had 30 targets last yep. year. Um, I don't think any team in the country, I don't know. I, I can't think of another team who's, who's thrown to the tight end that often. So 1300 be... snaps combined between those two last year. So those yeah. guys are literally playing. I mean, you know, you're, you're going to tight ends probably six, 65, 70% of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so who, I guess I'm interested to see who's filling into that role. Um, so I'm not sure how you classify Jared Russ. Um, he is on the Big 12. Um, he's all Big 12, like the preseason media team. Um, some outlets have him as a fullback. I think that's what he is on that list. Some outlets have him as a tight end. Um, he only had eight targets last year, so I think he's going to be more of a blocker. Um, he mm-hmm. definitely had some some solid blocking grades. But he might be one of those guys that you see get plugged in and try to replace those guys. Um, the other one might be Easton Dean, uh, another big tight end they have, who was actually a dual threat quarterback in high school. Um, he could be the other guy. So I'm interested to see what they do with some with some big lads out there and 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 what they mix up because that was kind of their bread and butter, um, I think, over the last couple of years. Killed us, man. Yeah, tight ends have been West Virginia's Achilles heel for literally the last 34 uh, years that I've been alive. So, um, yeah, Kolar was definitely a headache for us. Chase Allen was a headache. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, completely new slate there. Um, up front, I think they're going to be okay. I mean, they were they were pretty average last year. Um, mm-hmm. They were 36, uh, you know, 36 out of 64 Power 5 teams in pass blocking last year, 6th in the Big 12. Little below average in run blocking, um, 40th in P5, 8th in the Big 12. They bring three out of those five guys back. Um, Trevor Downing is is a good player, and I think he's gonna. I think he's moving to center. Is is what I saw in the depth charts that I was looking at. The other two guys, um, Simmons, Hufford, both of them played. You know, Simmons played 860 snaps, had a 59 grade. Um, Hufford, 593 snaps, had a 58 grade. So, you know. One good guy coming back, um, and then you have two new starters uh, at either tackle. Um, you know, one of them had a thirty-eight point seven grade, so that on eighty-two snaps, which you know, it's a not insignificant sample size. The other one had a seventy-two PFF grade on fifty-two snaps. So, I don't know. Um, wh- what do you make of the line? You know, I mean, they're going to be average. What are you? What are you thinking? I think they're going to be fine. Um, yeah. I, I would lean towards around average. I mean, that's kind of what they were last year. And you yeah. keep the, it seems like you're going to be keeping, if the position shift around, you're going to be keeping your interior, uh, your guards in your center. So some new faces on the tackles. Um, I don't know if that, that concerns you with pass rush, but um, yeah, you got an all big 12 guy on the line here in Trevor Downing. So uh, he allowed eight pressures on almost 500 opportunities last year. So that's pretty stupid. Um, yeah, he's good. Yeah. So you got, I, I think you're going to be fine. Like, I, I think that this offense is going to be able to do what they want. Um, like scheme wise, I don't think they're like limited enough that they can't, they can't make play the same football that they have been playing. Um, looking at this offense as a whole, I, I think this offense is going to be just fine. Um, they're not going to be the best offense in the league, but they're far from the worst. Um, I think this is a totally capable and adequate team. And I'm excited just to see like all these fresh faces. Like you've seen the same faces at Iowa State for a while now. Um, so I'm excited to see what what they cook up and uh, and get rolling here. So um, I guess kind of moving to the defense. Yep. Um, you're losing some guys, but I think the the first one that you got to mention that you're keeping is Will McDonald um, because this man had 45 pressures last year, which is insane. That's um, a lot. So, so on the D line, that's that's going to be really big. 
Um, I don't know. This, this I, I feel like you look across, and, and Iowa State was pretty well balanced last year. The defense was fine. The offense was fine. Um, they just didn't win the games. I think the defense isn't losing enough that I'm concerned. Um, is that is that kind of your impression as well? So I think there's, there's definitely guys still there. Um, I do think you lose some of your top performers, though. Um, like, I think a lot of the rotation guys, you have a lot of contributors back. But, you know, you mentioned Will McDonald. He's awesome. But you lose the dude on the other side, um, Wazarike, who had 43 mm-hmm. pressures. Um, you know, so so you're, you're breaking in a new guy at defensive end. Um, neither of the guys who, who uh, you know, I'm looking at a guy named Blake Peterson didn't didn't play much last year. You do bring back your interior rotation um, on the defensive line, Isaiah Lee and J.R. Singleton. Both of them, you know, seem fine. I'm sure that they can do whatever whatever role, you know, nose tackle. They'll probably just eat some blockers. Um, the concern for me is kind of in the back half of the defense where you're losing um, Mike Rose, Jay Cummel at linebacker. Yeah. Um, so that's like – that's literally 4,500 career snaps. You know, Mike Rose was a four-year starter. Jay Cummel was a two-year starter. Um, and they were both good. You know, those are dudes who are grading out in the mid to high seventies in PFF. Um, so, you know, not only, not only experience, but guys who are making plays, but you do bring in, uh, or sorry, you do return Jerry, uh, Jerry Vaughn and Orion Vance, both very solid players last year. Um, probably ready to take the step forward. Um, we'll see if they can be as good as, as Rose and Hummel were. And then you bring in a transfer from Delaware, um, Colby reader, who has graded out very well at Delaware. Um, so that's going to be your three linebackers. So, you know, I mean, you need a big, a big year from reader. I think maybe it, maybe a half a step backwards there, but nothing, nothing like crazy where you're like, man, this is going to fall off a cliff. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, reader got four, four years of good snaps in Delaware. So I yeah. think he's going to come in as an experienced fine, guy yeah. and he's probably going to maybe be the leader of that linebacking core, mm-hmm. um, or at least one of them. Yeah, I mean, I do think Hummel and Rose. I know Hummel was the leading tackler last year, and just losing all that experience in the in the middle of the defense, um, that is going to be a big loss. I, I do think um, that that is going to be a significant significant drop there. Um, and then as you move into the secondary, um, I do like Anthony Johnson Jr. I think um, in coverage as a safety, his grades were awesome. Yeah. Um, past him. <sighs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I uh, I am over the moon with the the rest of the coverage here. So on. Oh, sorry, I just lost my tab here. Um, oh, so yeah, sorry. I was gonna say just back to Will McDonald is on the the all Big Twelve team, so that is like yeah. your your kind of highlight guy. That's the dude. Yep. Yeah. So. Iowa State kind of as a whole, just having four guys on the list is that was big surprise to me. I think just in general, because you you think of the the production they're losing, they're actually in the bottom ten on both offense and defense in returning production. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a lot of that's just Purdy and Hall on offense, but um, you're losing your leading tackler and all and on defense and and a lot of this core. So um, new faces, and yeah, you're just gonna have to have guys step up, and this is a great test of you know the what Matt Campbell has built, you're going to really get to see this kind of second round of recruits and the recruits that kind of come in based on some of the success he's had. These are, these are the kind of the guys who get a, get the spotlight now. Yeah. I think, I mean, you, you, you kind of made that point on the offensive side too. And I do think that's, this is one of the benefits of having the continuity that they've had is, is you know how you want to play and that makes it so much easier Mm-hmm. to recruit guys who can play that you the way you, that you want to, you know, like, that's why I think, you know, Deckers, like Deckers, Jarrell Brock, all these guys offensively fit the mold, right? Like they look exactly, you know, they look like they can do the things that they've been doing for the last handful of years with, with Matt Campbell there. Um, I think that's probably going to be the case defensively as well. Um, you know, the one, the one loss, Ishim Young uh, transferred away. I think he's probably the one, the one loss that they, hadn't accounted for roster management wise. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, I think the guy who's taken his place, Malik Verdon, it, you know, played two snaps last year. Mm-hmm. So that, that might be the one area where you're a little shaky defensively, but, but, you know, as a whole, right. I, I think, you know, having the continuity, having the identity, knowing what you're looking for, uh, like, I think they're going to be just fine defensively. 
Yeah, and when you when you look through this roster and everything, how much of the peace of mind, or if you want to be optimistic, comes from Matt Campbell in the system? Because I think it's a lot. Like I think you got good players, but I think you feel better about this than like another team who's getting a new coach coming in um, because you know the identity and it feels like a you know we've seen like, it work right exactly yeah there's been success so they they know how to get this thing to work um so what was the number this year for iowa state six and a half so that's interesting to me so i'm i'm looking i just pulled up the schedule um so six and a half is the same we had for TCU. If I had to put one above the other, I definitely think Iowa State is better like than Iowa TCU. State better, yeah. And looking at out of conference, I like Iowa State's out of conference better as well. You get, uh, I think this is southeastern, southeast Missouri State to open, so that's yep. a dub. Yep. You get Iowa, who always has their number, but you know that's probably going to be somewhat of a 50 50 game like that's a winnable game Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a rivalry game and then you get iowa or sorry not iowa you get ohio um so so i i think that's that's an that's an easier out of conference schedule than than we saw with tcu yep yep i think i agree i think i agree so yeah we'll say let's say two and one coming into conference baylor probably a loss so two and two kansas three and two kansas state I don't know what do you think. Like, I don't know. I mean, if you win that Iowa State game, which is not, or you win the Iowa game, which is not out of reach, um, even with a loss to Baylor, you're sitting at four and one. Um, yeah. And maybe you get some confidence. Confidence, you get something rolling. That's a tough stretch of the schedule, right there. You get K State, Texas, Oklahoma, uh, three weeks in a row, four weeks in a row. West Virginia. There's a buy in there, and then West Virginia. So, um, yeah, that's that's could be a rough spot in the schedule. You close out with Texas Tech and TCU. And it's one of those things, it's just like, can you keep the faith long enough to make the Texas Tech and TCU game matter um, and not be checked out and, you know, whatnot. So six and a half. So let's give them, we'll give them those last two because I think we both like them better than Tech and TCU. So that's two. And then two on the front end with uh, Southeast Missouri, Ohio. So that's four. Kansas, and that's Kansas five. five. Are there two more? Hmm. I mean, I think that Iowa one is definitely winnable. I think at home versus K State is winnable. At home um, versus us on homecoming is winnable. Yeah, that's very winnable. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, not, we don't like not, playing there. It's not so, joke around about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. I think initially, six and a half is a great number, I think, for them. But yeah. initially, I might, I might lean over for Iowa State. Maybe seven, six or seven, but it may be seven. What do you think? That's why these guys, that's why these guys are paid to make numbers, I guess, huh? No, I, I, I'm kind of in the same boat, man. I, you know, I think, I think, five, I think there's five. I think there's five for sure. And then, yeah, you're looking, you're looking at us, homecoming. You're looking at Texas. You're looking Kansas State and Ames are probably the three that you're really looking at as like we could and maybe should win those. And I feel like this is a team that could go get one that they aren't supposed to win too. Um, Like that's kind of the identity I was done that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, I I think it's interesting when we get to our betting extravaganza, we'll uh, we'll nail down a number for each of us and, and see what we think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Six and a half. Good number. Yeah. I'll have to think about it. Nice. So anything else you want to throw in for the Cyclones? Special teams update, new kicker, new punter, new kickoff man. Jalen Noel returns as the kickoff uh, and punt returner. All right. Cool. So just a little, I guess, schedule update here. So um, next week we're going to throw up an uh, Oklahoma and Kansas State deep dive. And as of right now, we're thinking we're going to do an Oklahoma State kind of standalone maybe like a half episode the, the week after that that's like august 15th week um and then we're getting really close to the schedule so i think the following week from that we're going to throw up a, a west virginia deep dive and uh and get into it for the mountaineers and then also second half of that maybe do a betting extravaganza where we do some picks some props um and and throw out some of our picks and our and our favorite kind of maybe value picks in there as well so um that's gonna be a fun episode and the week after that it's the pit preview like we are into game week 
we are, we are fully there. fully knowledgeable on the teams we are facing and we are ready to talk like when they line up in a couple days what's going to happen so it's exciting man dude it's almost football season it's it's a great time of year Dude, it just brings a smile to my face. <laughs> I've been waiting for this shit for seven and a half months. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it is it is awesome. I I love like the the first month of college football is so good because yeah. there's so much optimism. Everyone's bought in. It's everyone's year still, and like no one's dreams have been crushed. And um, oh, it's it's exciting. I can't wait. We're <laughs> we're recording on the thirty first of July. We are just a couple hours away from one month till the backyard brawl. Oh my God. Um, so very exciting stuff. Um, so um, if you guys want to hit us up on Twitter, we are at West by pod with underscores. Um, if you want us to talk about anything specific or any questions for the show, uh, really appreciate all the support we've been getting. And uh, you can also find us on smokingmusket.com. Um, you can leave any comments on our little thread there. Um, tell tell your friends and your fam about West by Pod. Um, I'm Joel Bracken on Twitter. I'm at WB Stats Guy. Um, he's Jordan Pinto. He's at Game Day Shorts. And uh, that's all I got, Jordan. You got anything else? Nope. That's awesome. It. Well, thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time. One, two. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.